This morning, we are uh, continuing our series that we're calling Resolutions. Uh, what we've been doing in this series is um, it is the new year, and often with the new year comes these things called New Year's resolutions. And also with the new year just comes a time and space where we decide and choose to perhaps start afresh and live life perhaps a little differently, to start new practices and, and rhythms in our lives or to organize some things that have become disordered in our lives. And the hope is, um, through all this New Year stuff, is that we will be better people because of it. And for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, uh, the hope is we do this because um, in the process, perhaps uh, we will live a life that's even more pleasing to God. Um, there has been a verse that we've been revisiting each week through this series. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. Um, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And, you know, if we were to read this passage, or the verses before this passage and the verses after this passage, um, what we would see is a big conflict in uh, the church at the time. And that was, there was these Jewish people that followed the law. They were good law-following Jews. And then they met Jesus. And they... Uh, converted to the faith of Christianity and they started following Jesus and then this big question started to rise well what do we do with this law thing can we do we follow it still do we not follow it still what do we do and in our passage or in this passage it's actually referring to food well meat that's clean and meat that's unclean well what do we do there and then Paul writes to this and he says you know um, because of Jesus and this thing called freedom in Christ um feel free to eat what you want, go for it. Um, he says, however, uh, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 10.33, just two verses later, he says, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And the point is, um, everything that we do, we do it for the glory of God, but everything that we do, we also do it because we're seeking the good of many so that many may be saved. So whether uh, whether we eat or we drink or we try to lose weight or we limit our social media or whatever it may be, we do all for the glory of God. We do all of it so that somebody may be saved. Uh, so last week, Pastor Chuck explored with us the concept of bringing order to our lives. And he showed us um, in Genesis 1, the creation story. Um, it's God bringing order to the world. And how there may be things that we need to add into our lives to create more order from the chaos of our lives. And this week, what I wanted to do is actually go the opposite direction. Of course, there are things that we need to add to our lives. But in fact, there are things in our lives that probably need to disappear. To there are things that we need to remove from our lives. And we remove those things from our lives for the same reason. We want to glorify God. Um, we want somebody to meet Jesus through us. And so uh, to dive into this removing things from our lives stuff, we should turn to uh, the scriptures. Our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 4, uh, 22 through 5, 2. If you have your Bibles, I would welcome you to go ahead and open up there. Um, also, our scripture reader this morning is Jay Gomer. Jay, you can head on up. What we do for the reading of God's Word is, if you're able to, we stand and we face the center of the room. And the reason we do this is because this book, the Bible, is the greatest story ever told. It is a true story. It is the story of Jesus. So Jay, take it away when you are ready. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, 
to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank you, Jay. You all may be seated. Now, uh, what I'd like to do this morning is do something perhaps a little different. Um, we just had our scripture reading, and usually after that, we just dive straight into that. But what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to revisit our scripture reading at the kind of near the end of our message. And the reason I'd like to do that is because there is another passage in the Bible that I think will help us truly understand what Paul is saying in this passage. And that other passage I'm talking about is in the Old Testament. It would actually be uh, found in the Exodus story. If you have your Bibles, um, you could turn to Exodus 6.28 with me a second. I'll let you turn there. And I want to read this for us this morning. This is what it says in Exodus 6, 28. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. And you might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with our other passage? But you'll see in a moment. Um, this passage that I just read, um, is found right near the beginning of the Exodus story. Um, it's right before Moses and Aaron would go up and confront Pharaoh and command Pharaoh to let the Hebrew people 
go. Now, if you don't know this story very well, I want to just dive into it a little bit. Um, the Hebrew people earlier in the story, um, they had been living in their own land, and things had been good, and then suddenly a famine strikes, right? And with a famine, they began to run out of food. And so with them running out of food, they decided to look for a food source. And they found that Egypt had a lot of food. And so what the Hebrew people did is they left for Egypt, and they went to live in Egypt during the famine. Um, then generations pass and a new pharaoh arrives on the scene and this new pharaoh becomes quite suspicious of the Hebrew people. You see, what the Hebrew people were doing while they were living in Egypt is they were obeying God's commands to be fruitful and to multiply and they were doing that and they were doing that quickly. And the pharaoh saw that within perhaps a couple generations it was entirely possible that the Hebrew people could out number the Egyptians. And so the Pharaoh sees this as a threat, and then he decides to marginalize the Hebrew people to ward off this threat. And so what the Pharaoh does is really essentially two things. Um, one, he limits how many babies the Hebrew people can have. And the second, he forces them into a form of hard labor, really slavery. Every single day, the labor was hard, it was difficult, and they also couldn't have children. They couldn't do what God commanded them to. And so the Hebrew people, they cry out to God in their slavery, and God hears their cry. That's the beginning of the book of Exodus. You can find that in there. Now, when Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's presence, it's really at that moment when God's rescue plan begins to unfold in real time. Now, in your Bibles, if you still have them open, what you'll see after our, that part that I just read, you'll see chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10, and it will keep going for a little bit. That is one of the most well-known portions in the entire Bible, I would say. It's the story of the plagues. And we love the story of the plagues, don't we? They're so great. They're so happy, I think. And so the story goes... Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh, and Pharaoh refuses to let the Hebrew people go. And so God sends 10 plagues against Egypt to convince Pharaoh to change his mind. Now, there's a few ways to understand the plagues. Um, there's kind of a, a simple way where you read it and you say what God is doing is kind of flexing his divine muscles and he's kind of strong arming Pharaoh into giving up and uh, kind of letting God win in a say. And that would be um, a true, a, a good way to understand that. Uh, there's another way to read the plagues where you could read it as each individual plague is taking down individual Egyptian gods, the Egyptian pantheon. And if you look at all of the plagues and you compare them to the Egyptian pantheon, it is incredible the similarities between the two. It's a great way to read the story of the plagues. But there is also another way to read the story of the plagues. You see, it's interesting because there is a similarity between the plagues in the book of Exodus and the creation story in Genesis 1. It's fascinating, actually. In fact, if you look closely enough, uh, the plagues could be seen as a sort of undoing of the creation story. So in Genesis, 
we get this thing called the creation story. And then in Exodus, what I would say is we get this thing kind of called the, the uncreation story, in a sense. I, I want to show this to you because I think it's important to see this this morning. On the screen, we get a list of all the happy plagues. There they all are. Water in the blood, or yeah, water into blood. It's the Nile River turning into blood. And the frogs and gnats. The gnats could also be known as um, lice as well, which sounds way worse, I think. Um, you get flies, um, death of livestock, boils, a thunderstorm of hail and fire, locusts, darkness for three days, um, death of firstborn. By a raise of hands, we're going to go through each one, see which one we choose. It'll be fun. I'm just kidding. Now, each of these plagues undoes the creation story in its own way. And I don't want to walk through every single one. I just want to pick up a couple so you can see this. Um, the second plague, it's the plague of the frogs, which sounds really intimidating. Oh no, frogs. But what happens in the story is all the frogs that are in the Nile River, they suddenly decide to take off out of the Nile River, and then they head into the cities and the homes and uh, the Pharaoh's household and all that, and there's frogs literally everywhere. And the plague of the frogs undoes the Genesis 1 story. In Genesis, God commands the water creatures to be fruitful and to multiply and to do so in the seas, right? Like in water. That's where they're supposed to do this. And he limits the sea creatures, the fish and the lobsters and the frogs and all that, to the sea. The sea is where God created sea creatures to be fruitful and to multiply. And then suddenly in the Exodus story, the water creatures, in this case the frogs, they, they leave the seas and then they invade the land. And when they invade the land, something happens. They become incredibly fruitful and they multiply on dry land outside of what God designed them to do. It's, it's really an undoing of the creation story. Look at the, the fourth plague a second. The fourth plague is a good one. It's the plague of the flies where flies invade the city and they bother the livestock and there are millions of flies everywhere and it's this really terrible thing and all of us are thinking in August in the Magic Valley we experience this plague every single year, I think. But this plague is also an undoing of creation. On the fourth day, God gave every winged creature the skies where they would be fruitful and they would multiply. But suddenly, the winged creatures are literally being formed from the land, from the dust, and they invade the land. It's an undoing of God's creation story. The fifth plague. The fifth plague is the plague on the livestock. And what happens, all the Egyptian livestock suddenly, boom, they're all suddenly dead. We're in the creation story God places the livestock in the fields to prosper. In the Exodus story, God removes the livestock from the fields. And there's the plague of darkness, right? Where suddenly darkness covers the whole land for three days. And this undoes the creation story to the point where it actually begins to resemble Genesis 1-2. Look at this a second on the screen. Now the earth was formless and empty and Darkness was over the surface of the deep. It's 
an undoing of the creation story. The plague of darkness literally undoes the pattern of day and night that God institutes when he creates um, everything. Then we get to the final plague, the plague of the firstborn. We're on, we're on the sixth day in the Genesis story. God creates humans. The last plague is where God removes humans from the earth. In fact, God commands humans in the Genesis story to be fruitful and to multiply, to do that, to be fruitful, to multiply. And in the Exodus story, suddenly people can't do that anymore. The firstborn is killed. You see... The plagues in the story of the Exodus are an intentional undoing of the creation story in Genesis 1. I hope you can see that. And maybe it's just me, but this causes me to ask all sorts of questions about the text. And perhaps the biggest one is why? Why in the world would God choose to undo his creation? Why would he do that? And it's not like the plagues, the story of the plagues in Exodus are the only place where this happens. We have the story of the flood, Noah's Ark, where literally the deep waters collapse all over the land and it fills the earth to the point where there is no land left. It is an undoing of the creation story. The question is, why? Why? You see, sometimes... God must undo creation in order to make creation right again. Sometimes creation goes wrong and God must rewind creation to get creation back on track. In fact, we've kind of done what God has done in our lives as well. There are moments where we are doing something or our lives are ordered a certain way or we are building something and we have to rewind the tape because something goes wrong. It reminds me of when Becca and I were first married and we bought our first table set and I decided in all my manliness to build it because I'm cool like that. I'm not, it was a disaster. But we built the table, that went okay. And then we built the chairs. And I set, slowly started setting the chairs around the table. And every time I would set the chair down with each chair, I'd hear this weird ringing sound, which I thought was interesting. And so I'd go to another chair and I'd set that chair down and it would ring too. And I went and set every single chair around the table and they all were ringing. And I realized in that moment that I had put on a washer on the wrong side of the bolts. And so it was constantly ringing. And of course, that was like step one of building this chair. And so I had, we had to unbuild every single one of the chairs all the way and then rebuild every single chair to make it right again. In fact, often in the Bible, God does this with people too. Later in the Old Testament, the Israelites are exiled from their land and then they're sent off to Babylon. It's this really terrible story. And the reason God saw to it that that would happen 
is because the Hebrew people needed to be away from the land, lose their identity as these Hebrew people with a land so that they could come back and gain that identity afresh again. It's an unwinding to get back to something where it was supposed to be in a way. You see, God doesn't undo creation uh, because he's just sick and tired of it either. God undoes creation so he can redo creation, so he can make it right again, so he can fix it, so it can fit the way that God created the world to be again. And you see, sometimes God needs to do that to us too. Sometimes God needs to undo us in order to make us right again. It's a fact. Have you ever had a moment where things seemed like they were going so well in life and then suddenly things started to unravel in life, right? Like it all starts falling apart. And then hopefully on the other side of all that unraveling, when things got put back together in our lives, a fuller life is the thing that is left in its place, a life that's more right. I think this happens in marriage all the time. I do all, basically all the premarital counseling for the church and I get a lot of new couples and they come in and they're like 21 years old and they just are like all you know shiny eyed and excited and they're ready to get married it's going to be this great thing and they they can't even find fault in the other person at all this person is perfect like they're a specimen you know like this is and so these people, they go off and then they get married, right? And most of us that are married know this story. We get married. And there's this moment when we get married where it's all going so well, right? We know that we're for each other, right? Each person in, uh, does. And, and, we, and we know that we're, we're friends and we want to be together. And it's everything that we thought marriage was supposed to be. It was so good. And then something happens along the way. And we walk into the bathroom one day and we watch our spouse uh, brushing their teeth and it suddenly drives us crazy, right? Like, have you had this experience? I don't know. But something happens, maybe it's gradual, maybe it's quickly, but things in the marriage start not working. Things in the marriage start falling apart. Suddenly, there's fighting in the marriage, and there wasn't that before. We were too busy with our rose-colored glasses, and now suddenly they're off, and things aren't as they were before. And we find ourselves, perhaps it gets bad, right? And we're staying late at, at work, so we just don't have to be around our spouse. Or we're, we're out with our buddies, so we don't have to be with our spouse, because we don't want to be alone with them. Like, that's a terrible thing. Like, that would be terrible. And then one day, and during one of the fights, perhaps the word divorce pops up, right? And it becomes an empty threat, but maybe it gets more serious as it goes in the marriage. Because something happened, and our marriage is undone. It's not what it used to be. It is like God is unraveling what once was, and it's really confusing to many of us. And then something usually big happens, right? There's that really big fight, or there's that job loss that creates all this stress and it's just really bad. Or maybe it's something worse that happens in the marriage. But you see, sometimes, and I see this all the time, sometimes 
these big conflicts, these big moments that happen are, are those moments where suddenly reconciliation happens. And it's like the marriage returned back to day one in the marriage. And it's like the rose-colored glasses got put back on. But it, it's, it's better than that. It, it's because the, the marriage actually is better than it was when we first got married, right? Have you experienced this, married people? You probably have experienced this. You see, that is uncreation to make things right again. Uncreation that brings forward recreation, in a sense. Sometimes that's what God does in our lives. And sometimes it's on a spiritual level too, right? Where life is going good and then something bad happens, whether it be that diagnosis or whatever it is, and we're suddenly found in a hardship and life becomes difficult and the things that we usually relied on for stability, they just don't work anymore. And in that moment, hopefully, we find God in a way that we've never found God before. It's uncreation for this, this recreation, if that makes sense. You see, the new year is an opportunity for a little uncreation and recreation. It is. To start things new, to let old things go. Now, with this idea of um, uncreation and recreation, I, I want us to turn to our scripture reading that we heard um, earlier. Ephesians 4, uh, 22 through 5, if you have your Bibles, just open right back up to there. And I want to read it to you again. And I want to read it with this idea of uncreation and recreation in mind. Listen to this. Listen for it. It's what Paul says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and I love that, by the way, brawling. It's a problem that I have too. And slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you hear it? Uncreation and recreation, putting off the old self for the new self. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. And Paul says this new self, it's found in verse 24. This is what the new self is. The new self is we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The question is, 
What in our lives needs to be undone in this season? So that we can live lives that more closely resemble this created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What needs to go away in us? You know, sometimes it's basic, right? Like it's a job. And we're, we say things like we're married to our job and, well, we have a spouse, you know? Like, and maybe we need to give up a piece of our job in this season so that we can spend more time with our family, so we can spend more time with God, so that we're simply not too busy anymore. Or maybe it's something else for you in this season. Is there something that you need to give up for your marriage? Is there something that you need to give up for your relationships, for your family? Is it, and this isn't me speaking, this is, you know, speaking of somebody in the room that's not me, is it your unhealthy binge watches on Netflix? You know, is that what you need to give up? I don't know. Or those iPhone games. God, they get me every time. You see, the new year is an opportunity to clean out the closet of our lives, to experience a little uncreation in our lives. So we can live lives uh, that are full of righteousness and, and holiness, as Paul says it. What does God need to undo in your life in this new year? What is it? One more thing about this. Because there's more to this uncreation thing, this theme throughout the Bible. You see, in the Bible... God will undo creation in order to make creation right again. God will undo people to make people right again, his own people. God will undo us to make us right again, right? But it's more than that. You see, God will also undo himself in order for the world to be made right again, too. You see, the cross, in a sense, is another form of uncreation, it's where the God of the universe who holds all creation together undoes himself in order to remake the world into something that is right the way that God designed it. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he was literally undone on the cross. Literally was. His body was destroyed. His spirit was defeated. He literally said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That is a defeated spirit of anything is. You know, Paul wrote about this, this uncreation thing that happened at the cross. He wrote about it in Philippians 2. I just want to read it out loud. You listen to this. This is what Paul says. He says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. That's uncreation. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. It's uncreation for recreation, for something new to arise. And you see, at the cross, Jesus was undone for you and me. He was, to make you a new creation and me a new creation, to bring God near to us. And that's good news, isn't it? It's good news. And it's also good news because it means that we can follow Jesus into that undoing in our own lives. We can, because Jesus has been there first. We can do it. We can.
What needs to go in your life so that you can resemble a little bit more of Jesus in it? What is it for you? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that uh, one passage leads to another passage leads to another passage. God, we know that you intended it that way. It's quite amazing. God, this morning, all of us in this space, we, we turn to you, God, and we ask for your, um, your eyes to take a good hard look at us, God. What in our lives needs to go, God? What is it? God, we ask that you send your spirit upon each of us to open our eyes so we can see that too, God. Because we truly do, as a body, God, we want to represent you more. We want to follow Jesus more closely. We want oneness with you, God. God, we pray for that. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you would choose uncreation, not just on your creation, but even on yourself, God. We thank you for that. And it's all for us. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.